Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. Check this podcast, and today I've got Alu Axelman. So I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself, tell who you are, what you got going on, and then you've got a couple books that I really want to touch on and look at today. So go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and uh, what you got going on, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, hi, Justin. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Elliot Axelman. I go by Alu. It's been my nickname forever. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of the Liberty Block, so it's libertyblock.com. I've been writing articles and doing podcasts and videos for a few years since 2017 now, mostly about local news and politics from a pro-freedom angle in New Hampshire, mostly. And I wrote a few books now, and I'm working on a few more. The two big books I wrote about freedom were The Blueprint for Liberty, which is the comprehensive pessimist's guide to why the United States is screwed and hopeless and can't be saved. And we can't save D.C., not even if we win back Congress for Republicans in 2022, and the presidency in 2024, it's over, finished, kaput, totally done. The only prayer we have is saving one or a few states, maybe New Hampshire, maybe Florida, maybe Wyoming, maybe one or two others. But we should focus all of our efforts on one or two or a few states, which is a lot of what the FSP has done, the Free State Project. Like we just had the big uh, FSP festival, Pork Fest, the big camping festival every June. And my second book was Corona Fascism. I uploaded it to Amazon as Corona Fascism because I self-published on Amazon, and they blocked that title, Corona Fascism, which was not totally surprising. And then I had to re-upload it as the plague that must not be questioned, because especially once they did that, I wanted to think of another title just for the purposes of uploading it to Amazon. So I said, all right, you can't question Corona Fascism. They blocked the book name, the title. So it really can't be questioned. And I already knew a few months ago that the worst crime in human to do is question corona fascism. It's the worst type of crime. It's worse than murder. It's worse than um, theft. It's the worst kind of crime. It's it's questioning corona fascism and fascism. So I switched the title and I switched the cover art, which has the title on it. And I'll show you the book. If you give me a second, I'll grab one of the books. And so I, I made the new image for the cover and the title and I uploaded the book again. And now it's rocking on Amazon. But once that happened, I realized once they figure out what the content is, either by AI or by manual review, they're going to take it down and get really angry at me. And, you know, Bezos might come after me. So I wanted an alternative plan, a backup plan of some sort for the book in case Amazon took it down. I submitted that book right that same day. I submitted that manuscript to uh, one or two or three publishers, two or three. And I got calls within a few days from two publishers who liked the book a lot. I went with one. I ended up talking to Defiance Press and Publishing, and I signed with them in May. And the book is, they're going to publish the book, Corona Fascism, with the real title. And that'll come out September 7th on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all over the place. Oh, nice. So 
the title, The Plague That Must Not Be Questioned, is perfect because it goes right along with kind of the theme of why I started the Fact Check This podcast. Because, like, and, and obviously, which you, you've probably come across this quite a bit as well, the, the worst sin that you can commit in all of this is to present factual evidence that shows where they're wrong where they're lying and and what they're doing to manipulate the narrative and and the system to really drive the fear porn uh so talk about like what got you uh, obviously the lockdowns and everything but talk about like the book itself like what what was the inspiration for it and and just give like a you know like the cliff notes version of what you really get into and we can we can dig into specific topics or uh you know portions of it if you want but kind of give us a, a good a quick uh debrief of, of what you go into with the book sure the inspiration for it was for around a year fauci and the left and the media and my own dictator sununu chris Nunu of new hampshire were begging me to you know discuss this topic because they were acting like dictators and the real science deniers and shutting down the world economy we had the biggest crash i think in march of 2020 the biggest crash in world history of all the markets all the biggest indexes in the u.s and i think all over the world putting people out of business shutting down businesses churches you thought you had a right to religion a right to gather a right to free speech nope you don't have any of those things bill of rights doesn't matter so taking away that much freedom in such a short amount of time only a few months it might be the the biggest shortest violation of freedom to lose so much freedom in just a matter of you know, 15 days, it's not really 15 days, but in 15 days, which became like 18 months, to lose that much freedom, it's almost unprecedented, maybe on the level of uh, 1913 or, or 1938, if you were a Jew in Germany, you lost that much freedom in a matter of weeks. And, you know, very, very few times throughout history. It was, yeah, it was crushing the world economy, denying science, pushing ridiculous medications and treatments and eventually masks and vaccines on, on patients or uh, people who was not appropriate for, people who have for instance, natural antibodies, natural immunity from prior infection, which no one, no doctor in the universe denies that I know of. That if you have, you know, antibodies from prior infection, that's that's a lot better or at least as good as any vaccine could give you in regards to uh, immunity from a, a virus. But all of a sudden, with no evidence, Fauci just said, "Screw your antibodies. You need the vaccine. You had prior infection. You have perfect antibody levels. Screw you. That's fake." I don't need evidence because I'm Fauci and Fauci is the Lord. In the book, I explain why Fauci is the Lord. I actually have uh, the new Ten Commandments. If you thought you knew the Ten Commandments, forget them. In the book, I think chapter 14, where I talk about the new religion of uh, Fauciism, Covidism, the Covid cult, the Ten Commandments are Fauci is the Lord and thy God, and he shall not be questioned. Thou must social distance at all times. Thou shall not question the elite. Um, thou shall wear a mask at all times. You know the Ten Commandments. So you've got to relearn the Ten Commandments because this is now the one world religion. So that's great. So it's amazing how he just declared, and he had no evidence. I think Grant Paul asked him a few times in the Senate hearings, right? And he had no evidence. He said, well, because the vaccines are great, um, they weren't FDA approved, they're emergency use approved, but whatever. But they're so great, everyone has to take them, even 10-year-olds who, as I explained in the book with a lot of sources and all the data's there, kids essentially never get COVID, essentially never transmit COVID, and essentially never get severely sick or die from COVID. So still, considering they have negligible risk, meaning statistically zero risk of COVID, 10-year-olds should get a vaccine even though the vaccine presents more than zero, maybe 1% risk, let's say. So the risk outweighs the benefit, but still, with religion, you don't need logic, right? Because religion is not necessarily logical. It's based on faith, which is fine. Um, you know, religious people admit that, but this is a, a religion. It's a cult. 
And Fauci said, screw your antibodies. Prior infection doesn't mean anything. Antibodies don't mean anything anymore. In this case, I don't need evidence, but I, I will declare that vaccines are better than natural antibodies. So that was also amazing. So I actually just updated the book in, in my version because they're publishing it and it takes a while. But in my own version on KDP, and I have no patience, I updated it with a whole chapter of a few pages long of just how great the vaccines are and my experience with the vaccines. <laughs> and, and the really crazy thing about like talking about the fact that they had nothing to back it up. There was no actual evidence. Uh, most of Fauci's justification is that it's just common sense. Obviously, it just makes sense that you would do that. That's not statistical, factual, scientific, anything. Like, we're not questioning the science. We're questioning your judgment of what is and isn't common sense. Because people who do actually have common sense and use that common sense to do some, you know, independent research and look at the literal dozens of statistical and scientific researches that are out there about masks, lockdowns, vaccines, everything. We're the ones who are being silenced and told that, well, that's not, that's not good enough. You should trust Dr. Fauci's common sense. <laughs> how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? Like that's not scientific in any way. Yeah, a few points that you just reminded me of. Number one, it, like I'm technically a, a scientist, or at least I practice science. I've been in medicine for 10 years, so I, I believe in, in the science. And one of the hallmarks and one of the foundations of science and you know, all of medicine, all of science, and really all research in the world is that questioning authority and the, the general dogma is a good thing. We love vigorous debate, and questioning is a good thing, and we have testable hypotheses. And never before in history, to my knowledge, has there been something coming down from the top like this, from, from government, from CDC, FDA, from the elites, the, the politicians and the experts, you know, trust the experts, that they said you can't question it. Um, if you even say the word ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or anything, if you talk about it, we're going to throw you off YouTube. Countless doctors were thrown off YouTube. Their videos pulled down because they mentioned ivermectin. They didn't even endorse it. They, they mentioned ivermectin, literally in a video, the word. And they have the, these AI triggers that trigger it with the algorithms, and they take down the videos. So that's amazing. The fact that you can't question it, again, what are they hiding, right? Um, the second big big point that you just reminded me of is if they were right and the coronavirus is the most contagious and most deadly thing in the universe, which is what they're saying, like more contagious than uh, tuberculosis, which I think infects like millions a year, and more deadly than Ebola, which is like 50 to 80% mortality. Like that's actually really deadly. Um, but they, they believe that it's like super duper ultra Ebola, SARS, AIDS, meningitis, tuberculosis. That's what they believe it is. Then why are, aren't all the uh, reckless anti-maskers and all that and anti-social distance people, why aren't they all dead? It's been a year and a half, right? And I, I was waiting, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I'm like, okay, we should be dead by now, but let's give it some time. A year and a half of the worst pandemic in history of the universe raging through the United States and the world and yet we're all alive. I just published another article, the same exact article as I did last year, but I wrote the same thing. I regurgitated it because I'm editor-in-chief, so I can do whatever I want. I wrote an article last year at Porkfest saying, you know, a thousand people went to Porkfest, libertarians, a year ago in June, in the middle of the pandemic. And a few days later, I published an article saying they're all dead. They didn't wear masks. They didn't social distance. Clearly, they're all dead, right? So a few people, you know, said, oh, this article's crazy. It's fake news. I'm like, yeah, it's satire, obviously. So we just had Porkfest, and it was the biggest one in history of existence. Um, it sold out. I think it's the first time it sold out. They stopped selling tickets. Once they hit 2,500, the campground was really just busting. It really couldn't handle it. We actually really had a water shortage a few days in. It was really bad. So it was, it was you know, too full. Too many libertarians came to New Hampshire, 
half of them are from New Hampshire, half from all over the United States and the world. So anyway, a lot of people were there. And I wrote a few days ago, just 2,500. I guess, you know, it sold out as soon as they heard I was speaking. So I was on the schedule. It sold out right away. So I'm going to take credit for this. So I ended up speaking three times throughout the Park Fest. It was awesome. So I wrote an article, I think, yesterday, like a few days after, right after Park Fest ended, saying, Porkfest was empty. And I showed pictures of the campground being very full, obviously. It was, it was stuffed. But I pictures all over of me with tons of others. And we got Daniel Miller from Texas, who wrote the book Texit, who's also an author for Defiance Press and Publishing, my same publisher. And pictures with me, others with Goldback, and pictures of thousands of people walking around the campground. And the caption says Porkfest 2021. But throughout the article, I explained, you know, the FSP tried to do a big festival. It was a flop. It was a total failure. Not a single person showed up. There was nobody there, just a few bears on the campground. It was totally empty. And, and because everyone's dead from last year, and others are obviously deterred from coming because they know they would die. Because if you go to this event, it's a super spreader event, you're going to die. So again, I already got some nasty comments on the article saying, I'm fake news, I'm stupid. It's satire. Come on, you know, clearly the, the pictures throughout the article show thousands of people there having fun. We were all just there. You know, everyone knows we were up there. Um, but yeah, I wrote another article saying that it was totally empty this time because everyone's dead already. <laughs> the, 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 the fact that people are so... Uh out of touch with satire and, and humor, especially on like Twitter, just dumbfounds me. <laughs> so, so something that you had mentioned uh, and it's uh, like, you can't, you can't question it. You can't, uh, you can't go against the, the prescribed narrative. And, and they talk about this like settled science that's antithetical to science. There is no settled science. Everything is constantly under review I mean, you look at literally every uh, medicine that's on the market. Like, they're all constantly under review, and things are coming out 20, 30 years after they were originally released of new things that they found because there is no settled science. So that's science. That's not how science works. And the, the, the most infuriating thing of this entire pandemic has been the bastardization of science and the weaponizing of science for a narrative that everything about that is you're you're in the medical field like you can you can probably talk to that a lot more than I can like I, I'm I've come up through uh, you know like businesses and looking at markets and management and stuff like that like and even just on basic market analysis and research like nothing is ever settled there is no settled. I think one of the most disturbing phrases is trust the experts and trust the settled science. Experts, real experts, not Fauci. He's not an expert. He's a politician. He's been in D.C. Uh, 30 or 50 years. He's, when you're in D.C. For, for decades, you're not in anything. You're a politician, right? So, and he's like one of the biggest bureaucrats in, in the world. And obviously, he was, he's been the most powerful person in the world for the last uh, year, year and a half. Real experts don't say trust the experts. They say trust the scientific method, not trust the science, right? Trust the debate. Trust the experiment. Trust the experimental method. That's what a real expert might say. Um, am I an expert in emergency medicine? To some extent, yeah. Am I an expert in some other things, in uh, personal training and powerlifting and boxing? Yeah, I have some expertise. I wouldn't say trust the expert, trust me. I would say, you know, trust the sweet science of boxing. Trust, you know, the uh, experiments. Trust experience. I, I would never say trust the experts. It's a, an arrogant, weird, disturbing, uh, it's just a, a tacky thing to say. So I, I wouldn't say it. It's, that's one of the, the most ridiculous things. 
if there's anything that is settled science, you know, like gravity, you could say it's 99.99% accepted, right? We, we all say gravity exists and, you know, generally uh, any item will, will fall to the ground given no other force acting against it because gravity is the, the force. Um, one of the few things that is pretty settled, and not, even I learned it in ninth grade and no one disputes this in the world, is the hygiene hypothesis, which is that the more you encounter as far as pathogens, bacteria, viruses, and fungi, and all the others, the stronger your immune system gets. Since you have, if a, a human body is exposed to zero antigens in the universe, then the, the body will essentially develop little to no immune system ever, right? Uh, babies, they get a lot of antibodies from their, their parents, so from their mother in the womb, and also through, you know, the breast milk. And then as they're a baby, they put everything in their mouth. They probably gain, they probably are exposed to billions more antigens in their first few months of life. So they put everything in their mouth and they're dirty, which is fine. And they usually do very, very well, right? And there are plenty of studies out there of what babies are exposed to. It turns out it's not just standard antigens. It's also antigens that act on uh, the mast cells and histamine receptors and histamine for the allergies. The kids who are exposed to peanuts right away at birth are like much less likely to develop peanut allergies than the babies who are coddled and not exposed to anything for the first few months. So it's allergies too, which is immune allergies are just exaggerated immune responses, which is just an inappropriate immune response where your body releases a billion times too much histamine and that plummets your blood pressure and closes your airways. So babies should be exposed to pathogens. Obviously, I'm not saying you should take your newborn baby and throw them into Africa in a jungle with zero vaccinations or zero shots or no medications or prophylaxis, but Everyone agrees. I think I would I would say generally, I haven't met anyone else in the world who would say that that humans should not be exposed to any epigen, any uh, pathogen of any sort. They need antibodies, and that's how they get antibodies from natural immunity. They can get acquired immunity from vaccines as well. But I think like the, the gross majority, right, like ninety nine percent of immunity is not from vaccines; it's from uh, exposure out in the real world to things. So, I, in my book, I have I think a chapter or part of a chapter is quoting like. Uh, chairman of entire immunology departments, chairman of pediatrics departments of big hospital, university centers, medical centers saying, yes, maybe let your kids play in the mud more. Maybe use soap less for your children. Maybe start letting the dog lick your baby's face and let him play in the mud for longer so that they get more exposure to uh, antigens, develop antibodies and all that. So the fact that now we've been, we've been for years uh, drowning our kids in sanitizer and soap and washing them antimicrobial, antibacterial, antiviral, and uh, not letting them play outside because kids have been playing video games and TikTok for years. But especially the last year and a half where kids' parents have been freaking out, partly because of them, but partly because they're believing and they're trusting the experts, which is what you know I, I would expect. A lot of parents are trusting the experts in the media and the elites. And again, this is the biggest propaganda campaign in history of existence of the government in, in joint forces with the elites in, pol in uh, all politics, but also media, schools, education, entertainment, everything. And, you know, I'm getting ads from Emma Smith and Alex Rodriguez. Um, and Alex Rodriguez is ironic. You know, she's also getting shot because Alex Rodriguez had, makes great decisions and wants to inject into his muscle, obviously. So um, he has ads for the vaccine, right? So the problem, and he's saying, Alu, you know, get the vaccine, the Facebook ad from Alex Rodriguez telling me to get the vaccine. So, and even if I told them that I have natural antibodies from prior infection, they would still say, no, that's garbage. Get the vaccine, that's better. So this propaganda campaign is unbelievable. And the, the parents are believing them. And they've been not allowing their kids to be exposed to anything. They have a mask. Either the mask doesn't work and they can still get COVID or the mask does work. And if it works, that's even worse because if it works, it means zero pathogens are getting into their airways. And since they're using sanitizer a million times a day, they're essentially getting no exposure to any pathogens, meaning best case scenario, if they do successfully 
uh, prevent exposure to any pathogens for a year and a half, and they have zero exposure, as soon as they do stop this, right, in a month or any year when this does stop, they're dead because they're going to have no immune system. And if you have no immune system at all and you go outside, you literally will die. It's that simple. Because any any tiny uh, virus or bacteria or fungi or protozoa that, that gets to their body will kill because they have no immune system. We all have tremendous immune systems with billions of antibodies. We have tremendous, our white blood cells each have tremendous, amazing jobs they do. But if we have none of that, you know, uh, super ultra severe leukemia means you're dead, right? Uh, AIDS, if you get anything, you're dead. If you have AIDS, that, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about an immune system as bad as maybe severe AIDS or severe leukemia or something like that, where best case scenario, if all of our um, mitigation experts are working as well as, as people are intending, then our, our children and all people will be dead as soon as they do end these mitigation practices. And it's not like, it's not like this is new or unusual information. I, I mean, the entire, the entire thing about the indigenous peoples of the, of you know, America, when the European traveler settlers came was, you know, they were given them blankets and stuff that had all these diseases that they had never been exposed to before. And it was, you know, ravaged population. So it's not like, and, and, you know, there's always outrage over the, uh, the horrible white people coming and doing that. Not that it was necessarily deliberate, but, you know, it's a thing that if you're exposed to things that you've never been exposed to before, especially as adults, your body is going to have a severe reaction to it and it's probably going to be bad or you're not going to be able to react properly and fight it off. It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why they vaccinate children now. It's not necessarily for the children. It's because the adults' uh, immune systems can't handle it. Like you don't want adults getting mumps and measles and stuff. It's, it would be, it's infinitely more deadly for an adult to get those viruses than it would be for a kid. Like if the kid got it, there's a high level probability for a lot of that stuff that they're going to survive and, and they'll be better off for it. But the reason that they do it is so that the adults aren't exposed to that child and get it as well, because then it would be really lethal. And so, you know, that's, it's not like any of this stuff is new, excuse me, any of this stuff is new information. Like, this is the way our immune systems have worked literally for all of human history. And now it's just being dismissed as uh, conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you mentioned that I, I didn't even get a chance to discuss is the economy. There's a whole chapter, and I wrote an article about it about a year ago, about the economy when we had the big recession caused by the government. And make no mistake, it was caused by the government and politicians and police enforcing laws. It wasn't caused by COVID. It was caused by the government. The massive worldwide recession. People are saying, you know, a lot of people say, who cares if there's a recession? The stock market's down. A few billionaire investors lost a few bucks. Who cares? Well, actually, no, the elites didn't lose money because the elites who are either in the U.S. Senate, like Loeffler and Purdue or wh whoever in the Senate did dump the stocks at the right time with insider training or stock act violations. And their friends and the elites in the billionaire club, they didn't lose money. But anyway... People might say, who cares if big investors lose money? Um, the stock market doesn't affect us. I would remind them that, and I, in the book, I do, that in the last version of 2008, around at least 10,000 suicides, 10,000 were linked to the fact that the market crashed. When a market crashes, obviously, I'm sure you know, your audience probably knows, when a market crashes, stocks go down. There's a sell-off. People sell off. Pe people can't reinvest. Everyone loses money. And 
even if you don't have money, your businesses are wrapped up in money, your pensions all go to the garbage. People start pulling out, selling off, a massive sell-off in stocks, and it de- devolves and cycles down, and everyone loses money. Eventually, businesses lay off employees. Employees can't pay mortgages. Mortgages go foreclosure, default, the housing market crashes, and so as a massive housing market crash in every single depression, because ultimately it leads to that. And then everyone's jobless and homeless and, and you know, has nothing, and then everyone is uh, out on the streets and poor and commit suicide. So that was something I talked about in April of last year, like when the when the lockdowns and stuff were really hitting hard and a lot of people were being put out of work for no fault of their own. But because the government said you're not allowed to go to work, like you can yeah, look the business at, you can look at statistical research on this and you can see ahead of time. Like if you put people out of work, you make people stay home, you take away their purpose for life. People who have drug addiction problems, it's going to get worse. It's going to res- it's going to come back. They're going to have you know people with depression or other mental illnesses. Like it is going to compound. There is going to be suicide and drug related deaths on the rise because the government said you can't go and do the thing that gives you purpose in life. Like you can't just strip that out from underneath somebody without there being some severe consequences of that. And they forced people to stay inside and told them not to go outside. So obviously, you all know the rates of depression, anxiety, PTSD, spousal abuse, child abuse, divorce, um, all those issues. I mean, what better recipe for spousal abuse and domestic violence and divorce could you have if you wanted? If you would, if you wanted to cause all those issues like divorce, you would have the people losing their jobs. You'd have them stuck inside all day. The kids stuck inside all day. Massive stress and paranoia from the government and their friends in the media telling you you're all going to die. Uh, depression, so they're losing jobs, losing their house, losing their pensions, seeing their pensions you know, plummet like 34% in one day because of the stock market. That's a recipe for disaster just in regards to domestic violence. And that's why I think I have a whole chapter as well in the book about domestic violence and people stuck at home and getting the depression and the violence and divorce and all those issues as well. And like the stock market for the people who don't think they have anything invested in the stock market and that it doesn't affect them in any way like that is so divorced from the reality of the world we live in especially in a very prosperous prosperous first world country like the united states Uh, you are even if you think that you have not a single penny invested which you you may not have a physical penny invested in the stock market but just the fact of your existence in this country means you probably have a very deep, heavy investment in that, either through your job, through the things that you own, through, like, there there are connections, just your day-to-day activities, the places you go and the things that you do that you don't even think about as being something that you do. It's just a natural part of life. That is all tied into the economic equation. And the people who just dismiss that as they don't have anything to do with it and that it doesn't affect them could not be more divorced from reality in that situation. I think anyone who has even so much as one dollar, one you know, Federal Reserve note, is affected by the stock market because the Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, controls the entire U.S. economy. And when the stock market goes down, they might cut interest rates and pump in trillions of dollars into the economy with quantitative easing. And obviously, when you print trillions more into the economy, you devalue the money and inflation makes your money worth less. So if you have $1,000 saved up and you think, ha, I'm not in the stock market, I can't lose money, 
well, that thousand dollars might be worth a lot less in a month. And obviously we're seeing the inflation now. And I, I don't think the, the market's really priced in any of the inflation of the last few months of the, of the uh, printing of, I don't know, six trillion or 10 trillion over the last year. I think last year, instead of like five trillion in government spending, it'll be uh, 10 or 15 trillion because there was at least six trillion extra just from COVID on top of the five trillion dollar annual spending from the federal government. So I don't think it's been priced into the market yet because I haven't seen massive inflation with most things besides some commodities like lumber and some other stuff. But I think in a few months, inevitably, when the market kind of prices that in and everything adjusts for it, the inflation is going to be tremendous and people will be horrifically destroyed. Anyone who has their money in dollars. And that's why I have very few in dollars. In fact, I only brought a few dollars up to Parkfest and I was there for like six days. And I had gold backs, if you're familiar with the gold backs, which is like an actual gold, you know, it has gold in it. And it, someone, this company called Goldback, a few years ago, put gold into a super duper thin layer and made it like a bill. It says exactly what it is. It's one thousandth of an ounce, so a small denomination. And they have fives and tens, so bigger denominations. And I carry those around. It turns out Goldback, who I interviewed a few months ago, Goldback sent people from Utah to have a table. They had a stand at Portfest. But a lot of people had Goldbacks as well, and almost every vendor accepted them. And so for the majority, most of the things I bought as far as food and stuff, like to survive for the week, was with Goldbacks because I, I straight up ran out of dollars. And uh, so a lot of the transactions, I've never used Goldbacks that much in one week, but it was it was nice. And people bought my books because I had my books with me. A lot of them bought my books with Goldbacks, some with fiat and some with, with crypto. But there was a lot of transaction with Goldbacks. And I think we're building up in Utah. They already have a good community in New Hampshire, we're building it up where, where some businesses, New Hampshire, my, myself included, do take goldbacks already. But if you have thousands of dollars in either you know physical cash or in a bank and any savings accounts or anything like that, you're, you're going to be in, you know, in for a hell of a storm when, when I think all this inflation is priced in. So yes, you are affected by the market because the market affects everyone. Unless you're literally one gorilla living in the woods in China, every, every other organism, you know what I mean? Every other human, every human really is affected by the stock market crashing. Yeah, and, and that's uh, unless you are like truly living in a gorgeous lifestyle and you know working on a barter system and stuff like that. I mean, we've got a very nice garden in our backyard. We got chickens that uh, they'll be laying. We already have one chicken that lays eggs regularly, one or two a day, and then we've got six more that'll be laying here within the next couple of weeks. So. Uh, like I said, a big garden, way more than what we would actually need for ourselves. We have the ability to, and in our entire neighborhood, we uh, we live in a pretty nice little neighborhood where everybody has a garden. Like of all of our neighbors, I think uh, at least half, if not more, have their own garden. Like we can, you know, as a as a small community here in our neighborhood, we could kind of band together and do without a lot of other stuff, but. We are not, you know, we are the exception, not the rule. And most people don't even, most people wouldn't even know how to go about starting their own garden, much less. Well, I hope you have all the permits, you know, first first off. I know there are a lot of permits and licenses and regulations you better be following. Uh, I know we live out here in the country. We don't get a, a whole lot of, uh, now, if I, I had talked about that jokingly with, with my neighbor, I was like, I'm going to set up a, set up a little produce stand out here in the, uh, at the front of the neighborhood it's like and then you know i've got a few guns so i need y'all to stand guard because it'll, it'll it'll only be a matter of time before we get hit up for do we have our licenses for running our produce stand which is absolutely insane but you know that's the that is the that is the fascist country that we live in honestly like
but it was a uh, people don't think so but it was pretty fascist before we had corona and all of this stuff anyway like mm-hmm. if you're looking for agorism freedom uh real unbridled capitalism new hampshire is going to be the place to be going forward it's the only state of all 50 that i think is trending in the right direction we just passed the budget that eliminated a lot of taxes eliminated laws shrinking government so over the last few years we've, we've gotten rid of a whole lot of government and we're actually cutting the, the government and it's the only state i think where consistently for the past few years especially because of uh libertarian activists people moving here from elsewhere so new hampshire will be the place to be if you want the agorism and if you want a, a bodyguard you know um i'd be willing to consider doing that but i wouldn't mind slinging the ar for a little bit and making some money <laughs> nice <laughs> so all right so you you've talked about pork fest and uh and and new hampshire explain or talk about the free state project a little bit i I, let's i'd like to use this as kind of the uh kind of the wrap up for the show because i don't know most of my audience is more indiana kentucky uh like rural you are new hampshire is way further north than most of my audience would ever have any interest in going (laughs) so so explain the free state project a little bit and kind of how that works and what all has been going on with that over the last several years and uh, just kind of give me a, a little sales pitch for the Free State Park Project and maybe even how can we do something like that in Indiana, Kentucky, because uh, these are fairly rural areas that I'm from and most of the people who uh, I know that would listen to this show are from. And so it's not something that would be necessarily out of reach for the part of the country that we are in. Mm-hmm. The little bit of time I spent in Kentucky and Southern Indiana was beautiful. I loved it. I think there's, you know, tremendous amount of freedom and a lot of good in Kentucky and in, uh, you know, rural Indiana, for sure. Like I said, I I think from my research on all 50 states, the only state consistently trending overall net towards liberty with the net trend is New Hampshire. Over the past five years, we've gotten rid of all permits for, you know, so we need no permits to carry guns anymore. Not at all. We have no no laws at all. Um, Just don't carry in a courthouse. That's the only law in the whole universe, I believe. Um, we're getting rid of taxes. We just eliminated more taxes. We have no income tax, no sales tax. We just passed the budget two days ago that gets rid of the tax on interest and dividends. So now we really have like no taxes besides property taxes, pretty much. Um, we are getting rid of tolls. They removed the toll in Medford, I believe, on the way to work. So they removed that toll, literally took it and got rid of it. Now it's gone. Now it's like a clear open highway. So we're actually cutting a lot of things. And, and this last budget also cut taxes for businesses. So we're trending in the right direction. Um, a lot of people, myself included, thought that New Hampshire was in the Northeast and it's Yankee land, it's you know, New York, Massachusetts, Vermont. New Hampshire is overall, if you look at the rank of overall freedom, if you look at all the different types of freedom from you know regu- regulatory, policy, fiscal, economic, taxes, personal liberty, educational liberty, firearms liberty, New Hampshire is the most free state of all 50 states. It's surprising people think it's Yankee land, that's fine. People call me Yankee all the time, but it is the freest state. We have, we have overall the, the freest laws, the, the U.S. restrictions. So that's why it was chosen. The Free State Project was started uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago, early 2000s. It was kind of a, a theory of how can we stop with the dilutional futility of diluting our efforts across a few thousand libertarians or even a million across all 50 states where we're losing in 50 states and maybe all gather with a higher density concentrated in one small state that's small, easy to affect politically because of its nature, and 
already very free. It was already the freest or one of the free states. How can we keep it free and maybe even make it more free? But generally keeping it the way it is because the trend for most you know, states, every place with the government, is to get more authoritarian and less free. So it was really to preserve the live free or die values that New Hampshire already had. So that started and pretty much the process was we'll try to get 20,000 signers to commit pretty unofficially, but to, to commit to move in if we reach 20,000 20, person signer goal. Once the goal is reached, then within five years, they should make fulfill their pledge and move. We all figured that you know roughly 10% would actually you know f- fulfill the promise because uh, the pledge to move because it's not binding. But um, that was triggered, I think, in around 2014, maybe, or 2015. And then so around 2020, around a year ago, was that five-year mark closed and only around 4,000, roughly three, four or 5,000 now have moved. So maybe, I don't know, a third or a quarter have actually moved. But plenty of people here were already pro-freedom. But with another, I just checked the FSP site. It's fsp.org for Free State Project. And it's at over 5,000 because they have a tally there. Over 5,000 uh, Free Staters here now. And just those people, you know, it's a state of 1.3 million. So 5,000 people who vote pro-liberty, either for libertarian conservatives or, you know, pro-liberty uh, people to be elected to local and state office. That's good, but it's not just 5,000 votes. Which, which would be a small amount, maybe like 1% in, in a small state, but it's that they're all activists. Almost all of them are activists, very active, and they're libertarian. Some are, some are anarchists, some are libertarian, but it means that they're productive. They have integrity. They have jobs. They have uh, some intellect. They don't, don't mind getting involved. They can donate a few bucks to campaigns. They can get things done. For instance, I'm just one of those people who moved here to preserve the great liberty we had. And what have I done? I'm just one of the, the 5,000 movers, and I some people, like I was talking to another pessimist the other day, who's more pessimistic than me, and he said, well, what can one person do? And I said, well, I'm just one old cowboy with no no college degree. And I've written uh, around 300 articles and published three books. My articles on Facebook have reached over a million people. My podcast and videos have reached, you know, millions of people. My website is now the third or fourth largest website in the state of New Hampshire as far as traffic. And, um, you know, we're kicking butt. And I've helped, I've helped defeat a lot of bad bills that would have caused taxes. I've helped a lot of good bills pass. I would like to take at least some credit for a lot of the good things passing this year, like eliminating taxes. So I'm just one person without a college degree, one dumb cowboy. And imagine 5,000 of me, you know what I mean? In the next year, we're going to have one or 2,000 more movers. Give me another 1,000 of me. Give me five more clones of me, and this will be Ancapistan. You know what I mean? That's that's how much I believe in the power of one person, especially in a state like New Hampshire, which is pro-freedom, accessible government, and very, very small. One person and go to Concord, the capital, and go kick butt. The, Conquer- the uh, capital is around 15 minutes from my house, less than 15 minutes. I go there all the time to testify on bills until Dictator Sununu locked the doors and said it was too dangerous for the legislature to meet. They became a dictator for a year and a half, like the high chancellor of Germany, a certain other person around 70 years ago did. So he became high chancellor and made laws by decree by his own. But before that, and hopefully after that, going forward for the next session, you can go, every, every single bill gets a public hearing, so you can't squash a bill. Pretty much every bill gets a public hearing. Everyone gets unlimited testimony, so public hearings. I've gone and spoken for eight minutes straight, yelling at the committee for why I think a certain bill shouldn't pass because it creates a new tax and we can't afford that. So everyone can testify. Every bill gets a vote, essentially, in the full House, pretty much. Um, we have 400 state reps, which makes them extremely accessible. They all are paid $100 a year, so they're, they're usually as poor or poorer than the average person. And they only make 100 bucks a year. We have 400 of them, so they're not that special. So it makes the government very local, very accessible. Every person in New Hampshire knows 10, 20, 50 state reps because of the, the nature of the business summit. I know like 
70, 80 state reps. And but everyone knows a ton, so it's not special if you're a state rep if you know state reps. So it's just a very, very accessible government considering it's a government. I don't believe any government should exist. Like I said, I'm, I'm a voluntarist, but if any any government should exist, New Hampshire is kind of the way it should be. It is almost as decentralized and weak and accountable and representative of the people as any state government is. So all these things make it so easy to affect policy. One person, like I said, if you were to move here, we would see the state literally become more free in the next year. Because if, if you put your efforts into this as well and focused instead of Kentucky, Indiana, focused on New Hampshire, just one person could make it literally could help us pass more bills in the legislature or more policies that make it a more free state. So I'm a very big first big believer in self-efficacy, self-determination. We create our own destiny. And, you know, it's all in our hands. We can we can get a lot done on our own. And obviously most of the battles that I you know I've won have been in conjunction with a lot of other organizations for sure. Um, you know, the the House Freedom Caucus of the GOP with uh, AFP, NHLA, uh open New Hampshire now they oppose lockdown. So a lot of other organizations all work together on various issues. We have a few Second Amendment gun groups that are, I'm um, ANCAP, and there are groups that love guns more than me. It's pretty crazy. It, yeah. So we, we have a lot of groups that are extremely passionate about, about gun rights. So we have a lot of uh, two different groups that are phenomenal on education rights, on school choice. So we have so many groups here. We all work together on the issues we align on. And one person could have such a big impact here. Like I moved here, and, and now after a few years, I think everyone, you know, would agree that I, I have made an impact with Liberty Block. So every person who moves here, if we have a few thousand more, and every every month we have a few more movers. So we're consistently getting movers. We'll be at five or 6,000 people here in the state within a few months or a year. And then I think the tide is, we're really going to hit that critical threshold, that, that critical point, where we're really going to start seeing things gain some momentum and start rolling downhill towards freedom. Um, and it's only going to get better from there. That is... Awesome. And, and just uh, the, the idea that one person can actually uh, instigate and like bring about some sort of a change and a difference just from, you know, being engaged locally. That's something that uh, our local county Libertarian Party affiliates have been working on is being more engaged at the courthouses and going to uh, township and county meetings and stuff like that. And and trying to make sure that we're participating, we're being heard, we're being noticed that we're, you know, we're getting our voice out there to to try to be an instrument of change and show that, you know, there are people here who are not okay with the elected officials just ramrodding whatever they want through. Like we want accountability. Uh, so that's uh, to be able to maybe at some level, uh, especially on you know local levels, to be able to bring about some sort of change in that in that manner and seeing that it it is working in new hampshire like the the lack of taxes and regulations and everything that's that's impressive especially for you know a, a northeastern state like that just embedded right in the middle of yankee land that's that is very impressive yes sir thank you so much uh thank you for coming on and we'll uh we'll have to do this again sometime because it sounds like you've got a, a whole lot going on and i'd like to like to stay up to speed on all of that. I'm ready to pitch the next book anytime. I am finished the rough draft for the next two books. And then the book after that is called Taxation is Theft. And I'm almost finished that book. And I'm super excited about that one as well. So anytime, I would, I would love to come on and talk about the books or anything else. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Alec. Yes, sir. Take care. You too.